information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue. We the people set up the Constitution, created for creating solutions. However, we the people lack the understanding. Legal terms and conditions sound written on another planet. Our rights we take for granted often sounded away our chances because we don't really know the circumstances. I swear I can't stand it. Then we're so demanding. Quit the thought of a picket sign in the streets to exercise our freedom of speech when a situation could have been avoided from the start if we the people conquered basic knowledge of the law. So this is for the people. Law in plain language, breaking it down for us in layman terms, Deb expressing her compassion and will for us to learn, not for a check but to address how to win in these streets. This show is for you. This show is for me. It's for the people. What's up, what's up, what's up? If you're hearing my voice, it must be Tuesday night, 8 o'clock. What's going on at 8 o'clock on Tuesday nights? For the people, law in plain language. Joining me as usual in the studios, my For the People fam, Black, a.k.a. the Broke Poet. What's up, fam? What's up, what's up, what's up? No matter how many times I hear that poem, every time you perform it, just gives me goosebumps. Oh, she made me so. The producer, soon to be Dr. Producer Baby. Hey, producer. Good evening. <laughs> also joining us are two special guests, one of my favorite folks who I always go to when I have some legal questions I can't find an answer to or make up the answer for. Mr. Carl Baker, he is the chief of the appellate unit at the Public Defender's Office, and he is just an appellate mind extraordinaire. Carl Baker, say hello to the people, Mr. Baker. Good, ev- good evening, Deborah. Good evening. Thank you for joining us, Carl. And also next to Carl is Miss Phyllis Taylor. Phyllis is a chaplain with the Philadelphia prison system. Thank God for her. She's also a registered nurse. Phyllis, say hi to the folks. Hi out there. Ladies and gentlemen, before we get into our programming tonight, and as usual, you know, if I don't do the title, I have no idea what it is. Knowing the producer, we probably don't have one. It probably simply says Megan's Law. It says Megan's Law Part 1, I beg to differ. Okay, so that's that, you know, really creative title that she comes up with when she doesn't consult me. Really quickly, last week we talked about, and we gave some updates on the um, voters' ID law. If you guys recall, we had several shows, and we had uh, State Rep. Rosita Youngblood. What's up, State Rep. Youngblood? Thanks for joining us last week. She was here, and we talked about, uh, and we reminded you folks, that on November 6th, you do not have to have ID in order to vote. If you're asked for ID, you don't have to show it. If they turn you away, make sure you tell someone. The caveat to that, if you guys remember, is that first-time voters do have to show ID, and it's sufficient for you to show your voter registration card that hopefully you'll get in the mail before November 6th. Don't forget, November 6th, get out and vote. It don't matter who you vote for, vote for Obama. (laughs) (laughs) I stole that from uh, Madonna. I heard Madonna was on tour over in Europe somewhere. No, in in New Orleans. Oh, thank you. 
And they booed her. So, ladies and gentlemen, why is Megan draw important? Well, I'm going to give you a little sample of one of my one of my um, cases, and you tell me once you once you hear from my two experts in the studio what um, Megan's Law requirements are and how folks qualify for registration under Megan's Law, whether you think this is fair or not. Imagine a 20-year-old young man, dad's not in the house, mom works three jobs, she's home maybe two hours during the week to sleep, make sure her son has what he needs. He's a latchkey kid for all intents and purposes. He has a man in his life. He has his 25-year-old cousin who's a hustler, but he hasn't drawn this 20-year-old into the game yet. But what he does is give him money for doing small business stuff, delivering packages here, picking up packages there, so on and so forth. 20-year-old gets a phone call from his 25-year-old cousin, yo, go with Boo-Boo and them to this house down in um, Mount Airy. Whatever Boo-Boo asks you to do, take care of it, and when it gets done, I'll give you $200. 20-year-old says, okay, he'll pull a Boo-Boo, they go to this house, knock on the door. Nice white lady answers. She says, can I help you? We're here to check your meter, some old crazy number. The two go in, Boo-Boo grabs the white lady, slams her up against the wall, ties her up, looks at the 20-year-old and says, look, there's two kids, take them in the other room and keep them quiet. The 20-year-old not only takes the other two kids in the other room, but he keeps them quiet and he plays with them. He makes sure they're safe and not scared. He hears all kind of commotion in the other room where the mother is. It turns out, ladies and gentlemen, Boo-Boo was sent to this house to intimidate the mother, the wife, excuse me, of the bank robber. The other half of Boo-Boo's crew was at the bank threatening to kill the wife if the banker didn't get up the money. To make a long story short, they're caught. They go to trial. They're charged with kidnapping, burglary, robbery, the whole shebang. It's a full-out trial. The two kids there get up and testify on behalf of the 20-year-old. He took care of us. He made sure we weren't scared the whole night. He was convicted along with his compadre. He got a sentence of seven and a half to 15 years. The two kids in the house were 12 and 14. He's ready for parole after having served seven and a half years. State police officer comes to him, throws some shit in his face. Excuse me, Mama Black, some shit in his face. <laughs> Hold on, put my money in the quarter. I put my quarter in the cup. Has him sign some documents. Of course he doesn't read them. He wants to go home. He signs it out. He's out on, per- on parole, state parole now. Has been out for 18 months. Going to the University of Phoenix Ground School to get his bachelor's degree. All of a sudden, they bust, run into his father's house in the middle of the night, boom, with a, re- a warrant for his arrest. He failed to notify the state police of his address and failed to register under Megan's law as a sex offender. What kind of mess is that? Why is he a sex offender? How in the world is he a sex offender? Because when he was was convicted back in 1999, anytime you're involved in a crime with kids under the age of 18, certain enumerated crimes, kidnapping, robbery, burglary, that makes you required to register under Megan's law for 10 years back then, and he didn't know it. He's sitting in jail now on State Road in Philadelphia County waiting to go to trial on his failure to register. They're smart enough to hire me. We write a letter to the DA's office. The DA's office is sweet enough to recognize that the state still has another seven and a half, excuse me, 13 more years of his life to serve. Based on that, based on the facts that I just told you and the fact that it's 1999, the DA's office agrees to withdraw the charges of failure to register. Because he's getting on these kids' ass. Wow. 10 years in jail. That's crazy. 
So we're here tonight, ladies and gentlemen, to give you an idea of what Megan's Ball is all about. And the two people that are, are here, Carl Baker's here because he is the dawn, if you will. Carl's the one brain that everyone goes to in the city and the surrounding counties when they have issues as they relate to um, appellate issues. Carl was at the PD's office back when I was there, and he's just a plethora of information. He's kind, he's smart, and he's witty, so I really like him. That's because he's not going through much of anything himself. And Phyllis is here to put the sort of personal spin on Megan's Ball and give us a little bit of an idea. What'd she say? She looking at her Texas for Mama Black. What'd she say? <laughs> Did she forgive me for my clip? Yeah, but that was, was, was completely off topic. She said she's voting for Eric B. for president. <laughs> <laughs> is Raheem running with him as his vice president? Should be. <laughs> and Phyllis is going to give us a little bit of uh, her her take as the prison chaplain and a little bit of what she sees and hears because she works with the inmates up on State Road and State Prisons or just State Road? I, I work uh, directly with the inmates on State Road, but I follow a number of people who have been convicted who are in the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections. Okay. So, Carl, really quickly, let's go to you and your expertise. Give us a brief sort of down and dirty. What's the emphasis? What did Megan's Law and, and its statutes like in the sex offenses? Sex well, the well, actually, these uh, these statutes have quite a history. They actually go back, uh, they actually go back to the 1930s. Wow! Um, and uh, uh, the the more recent uh, generation of Megan's Law uh, goes back to around uh, late 1994, 1995, um, when uh, a, a little girl was. Uh, uh, was raped and killed Megan in Kenka. in New in New Jersey, Megan Kenka, uh, and uh, all of these laws grew out of uh, a very similar uh, experience. Uh, a terrible crime occurs. Uh, it's uh, reported in the press. Um, it uh, uh, makes the headlines, uh, and uh, the politicians <laughs> uh, rush uh, uh, to respond. And, uh, and it seems like in those areas where there's a political <laughs> and there's a, a, a race for governors they stand a representative or something people get a little bit more incensed a little bit more outraged and more inclined to overreact and pass these sort of all-encompassing overbroad statutes you agree with that Carl? well i mean you know all politicians uh, w want to get uh, elected and reelected and they're always looking for a leg up uh, and uh, this is uh, certainly an example of that and and just to give you some sense of uh, of uh, <coughs> Uh, of, of how this fits in, this, this particular statute. Uh, I first heard about it when somebody gave me a call and said that there's this uh, uh, perplexing, terrible, bizarre piece of uh, legislation that's uh, uh, traveling through uh, the legislature in Harrisburg. The uh, legislation, y'all, is where someone up in the state legislature or state senate says, hey, I want to offer or suggest this, this, this type of a law. Here's what I'm offering. And they bat it back and back and forth and talk about it. And they said the train is leaving the station, and uh, uh, you better get get here quick. Uh, they actually faxed me. This was in 1995. Faxed me the bill and told me to come to Harrisburg that same day. They would set up a meeting uh, with a number of politicians to try to dissuade them from uh, from passing it. I got on the train. I read this piece of legislation. Uh, I was amazed. Uh, it, it there were, from my point of view, um, uh, as an attorney, there were seven different. Uh, unconstitutional aspects of it, uh, and it didn't make any sense. And, and most of our state legislation doesn't 
when we talk about the unconstitutional aspect, give our readers a taste of, of what you see here, as opposed to uh, what we usually see. Okay, well, for example, one aspect of, of the legislation um, uh, stated that uh, once somebody was uh, convicted and before they were sentenced uh, um, for a sexual offense, uh, there would be a determination by the judge as to whether or not they were a sexually violent predator. Uh, and if they were found to be a sexually violent predator for any of a range of offenses that go from a misdemeanor to a, a serious felony, uh, the maximum sentence would be changed to life in wow. prison. That yeah. would be the, la the maximum sentence. And I'm oh talking about misdemeanors. Smokes. And in this legislation that you read back then, mm -hmm. please tell me there was consideration for the sexual sexual offender assessment where he gave the judge an evaluation as to whether or not he was a sexually violent predator. Well, there, there certainly was an assessment for it, but it's worse than this. Um, this uh, determination would be made by a judge at the time of sentence. Uh, and of course, usually uh, in a criminal trial, uh, the Commonwealth has to prove its case beyond a reasonable right. doubt. And in, okay? and in this case, uh, well, under this statute, they flipped it. Uh, and it was the defendant that had to prove that uh, he or she was not a sexually violent predator, predator by clear and convincing evidence. They, they shifted the burden of proof and they flipped it, uh, and it was clearly unconstitutional. That's an example of the problem. Let me just and say what, what Carl said about shifting the burden. In every single case that there's law out there, the defendants never have to disprove that they're not guilty. They don't have to prove that they're innocent. The state always has and will always have the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt the charges that they did. So just so you follow along and keep Carl's thought process clarified. A little bit more about this story. So I go up to Harrisburg, uh, and uh, there's a, a room half full of people. Uh, it's mostly not the politicians, it's their aides. And I go through the entire statute, and I point out uh, um, some of the very serious problems with it. I leave. Several days later, of course, it passes. And, of course, it passes wow. by almost almost a unanimous vote. Wow. Now, now here's... <laughs> Man. That's pretty freaking Now, here's the interesting thing. I hadn't had time to research this, okay? I came so back... In other words, try to find out uh, where this statute came from. I came back to Philadelphia, and I researched it, and I found out that this statute had actually been previously passed in the 1950s. Uh, it had been challenged in court, and over a, ser a, a, a period of time, uh, it was declared unconstitutional not only in this state, uh, but in a number of other states, very similar statutes. Wow. And one of the statutes went up to the United States Supreme Court and was declared unconstitutional. It remained on the books. Wow. And what the legislature oh had done, God. what the legislature had done is they had revived this piece of legislation. They had tinkered with it, made a few little minor changes, <coughs> and they passed it again. And and so you know th that's an example of the process that politicians, unfortunately, oftentimes uh, go through when they're rushing uh, to respond because hey, there's an election uh, on the horizon. For our listeners, if you don't know, whenever a law is passed and someone's arrested and charged with violating that law, their way to challenge that law, as Carl just said, is to challenge it in court. Not unlike we did with the voter ID laws, which we've been talking about the last couple of shows, where Folks who were against the voter ID law wrote to legal documents in the paper saying, you know what, there are too many reasons why people's right to vote are going to be trampled upon, it's unconstitutional, and here's why. They submit their, their documentation. The folks in favor of the law, usually the state, submits their counter documentation. 
a judge makes a decision and you can appeal it up to the highest level of court in any state. And that's what Carter said when he was saying that laws declared unconstitutional. When it's declared unconstitutional, what it means for all intents and purposes, you can't do it, you messed up, try again. So for, for <laughs> to know that in the 1950s they did this and it was declared unconstitutional and no, no one did anything about it and it stayed on the books, that's pretty damn scary. But <laughs> And they did it again. I do, Carl, and so before I go on, I usually do some research on my end, just to, just so I don't sound too ignorant when I say this stuff. And there were three, there's three sort of cases that all the websites that refer to Megan's Law, um, the history of the law, three federal cases they call. Carl, Megan Tinker was not a federal case, it was a Jersey State case, is that right? Because That's right. It was it's tried a in state court. Tried in state court, okay. yes. There was another, there was two other cases that they referred to as the historical sort of mainstay cases for Megan's Law. And one of them I have never heard before. And before we get there, um, producer, you ready to take a brief break or are you not listening or not paying attention? Right? Nope, I'm ready. You ready to take a brief break? back to For the People Law and Slang Language. If you didn't know, you better ask somebody. You're listening to www.gtownradio.com Gtown, we are the world The sound from Germantown Ladies and gentlemen, this, this information that we're putting out there that um, Mr. Baker, Carl Baker provided to you is really, really important because there's going to be some changes even more um, for, if I'm correct in December, and we'll talk about that and that's the formal legislation that's going to, oh my god, screw us up even more if you want to join in our conversation and you want to give us a call in the studio, you can reach out to us at 215-609-4301. Two for text on the text line at 215-435-4099. Wow. I got it. 
<laughs> if you want to send us an email for the people at DebraReadyLaw.com, hit us up on Facebook. What's our Facebook page? Laws Lane Lane. Lane. For the people, Laws Lane Language. Oh, well, follow there, us on there. Twitter for the people or follow me at DebraReadyLaw. On the other side of the break, Carl gave us a sort of a brief history of Megan's Law. He told us a little bit about his um, trip up to Harrisburg when the law was being kicked around back in 1995. I asked the producer to take a brief break because I was having some other uh, blank, sort of like right now. <laughs> it happens when you get that age, you know what I'm saying? It's okay. I think Hurricane Sandy may have got it's around okay. It's okay, it's okay. Scrambled a bit. During our break, you heard, um, what was the song we heard? That was Aretha Respect Franklin. Respect by Sister Aretha Franklin. R-E-S-P-C-T. Yeah, that's Aretha just staring off into space. Because I knew Black had it. Had it. The one before that. You played some songs? No, that was our theme song. She ain't with us tonight, man. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) So during the break, I had asked Carl about two other cases that I found in my um, brief 20-minute search of Megan Law history. And Carl corrected me and said that they're not uh, Megan's Law. They are... Not even derivations, they're a little bit different. And what I got from our conversation is definitely from wrong, Carl. Mm-hmm. Each of the cases that I mentioned to you were laws, and then one, each one that came after sort of added to it, defined it, and changed it. Is that a fair statement? Well, I mean, there have been a, a series of laws, uh, both at the federal and uh, state levels, that uh, have uh, made changes uh, with regard to sexual offenses uh, over the years, and that history just continues to go back uh, farther and farther. Um, I think the uh, most remarkable uh, uh, legislation is the legislation that arose uh, after the Megan uh, Kanka uh, tragedy. Uh, And uh, it it occurred uh, not only in uh, Pennsylvania, but it first occurred in New Jersey. uh, And then um, that was followed by uh, a wave of uh, legislation passed in state legislatures uh, across the country and then uh, federal legislation. Uh, So, you know, now we have... uh, um, legislation in, in all 50 states and the federal government uh, has uh, legislation that uh, um, has uh, uh, generally been referred to Megan's Law, but uh, th- there's various different uh, models and aspects. Um, but uh, well, Our purpose is here, though, Carl, you'll agree that Megan's Law, when folks hear that, is what occurs. Mm-hmm. It relates to sexual offenses. Sexual offenses, Correct. registration, public notification. And punishments if you violate bail register or the arrest, arrest conditions. Those are sort of uh, various enumerated crimes. And let's 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 make sure everyone out there is aware. Under these Megan laws, Megan's laws, regardless of the state or the federal government, there are specific enumerated or named crimes that you have to be convicted of. It's not enough just to get arrested for the crime. You have to be convicted of it. Once you're convicted of crimes that fall under these Megan's Laws umbrellas, then you're going to be subject to the reporting qualifications, have your name and your face and your life history put up on these state public websites, and then it's notified by of what your registration requirements are, what you could face if you fail to register, and so on and so forth. I want to put a question and pose a question to our studio audience. Why... Are sexual offenses that horrific that we have to have specialty laws that, that we have, these Megan's laws? Do we need them? Is it too much? Or do or do you think that it, we need them, but we need to sort of tweak it or make them a little bit more applicable? I'm going to start with our uh, Hang'em High judge, our producer. 
every time we have a show and we do this sort of any legal issues, we go to her because she puts everybody on notice. <laughs> Ms. Producer, do you think that we need to pass laws that deal specifically with sexual assault of children at the age of nine? Well, I'm not sure what you mean. You mean as, a, as opposed to just for sexual assault of young girls? Laws against harassment of children. I don't know. For sure we need that. Well, No, I'm not trying to come up with it. I'm really thinking. See, I feel like, I feel like, cause I, to be honest, I just found out what Megan, what Megan's law was when when they sent me the topic, and I had to do a little research because I had no idea what it, I heard the term before, but I wasn't sure about what it was. Um, then I talked to my my mom about it. Mama Black, hey, Mama Black, a little up? bit, and and I, I found out. No, I found out that she went on Megan's law to find out how many sexual predators lived in our area. So if I like had kids or something like that and I was looking to relocate or something like that, I, I would want to know. You all that. I said yes or no. Please I'm going to say specific to sexual assault. Yeah, but from what y'all just said regarding the law that you don't have to really be arrested for a se- convicted of a sexual offense to be have to register under Megan's law. Very good. But, but isn't Megan's yeah, law just if, if minors are, are involved? If you are a sexual offender, then I think I should, I really want to know where you, you be at. <laughs> I'm so going to say, say yes. yeah, but. Phyllis, what do you think? I say definitely yeah, but. Because my experience of putting the human face on those who are arrested for some form of sexual crime, uh, their lives are made absolute hell. My, yeah, Before but I think, there, okay. There, let me talk to our, our, our okay. resident Megan's law expert. Mr. Baker, yay or nay? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've begun to uh, express opinions that uh, uh, I think are, are heartfelt here. You know, um, many of these sexual offenses are, are terrible offenses. Um, and uh, there, there has to be a, a, an appropriate response. A- and also the, the community uh, uh, wants to, uh, to protect itself. Uh, the, the problem here, um, there's several problems. Uh, one problem is that uh, this type of uh, statute is far too broad. I mean, you, you note, for example, that it uh, uh, that includes uh, a number of uh, uh, non-sexual offenses or a number of minor offenses like uh, a kidnapping and false imprisonment of a child. Uh, and there was a comment as to uh, whether, the, whether it just uh, included the crimes against uh, children. Well, it includes crimes against anyone uh, of a, um, a broad sexual nature and a number of offenses that, that, that aren't uh, uh, sexual offenses. Uh, for example, uh, invasion of privacy is one of the offenses that's uh, recently been added to, to this that you have Good to register God. for 15 oh years. Oh, my God. Invasion of privacy? Well, what is invasion wow. of privacy? Invasion of privacy. That's exactly what it is. It's, wow. peeking, it's peeking through the window, you know. Wow. Uh, but the other problem is, you know, do these statutes actually provide protection uh, to people uh, and to their children? And, uh, you know, the comment has been made, well, I can take a look on the web and see uh, who are the sexual, sexual offenders in my, in my neighborhood or the sexually violent uh, predators in, in my neighborhood. The problem is that um, <laughs> there's two problems. What people don't realize that most people who commit a sexual offense are caught, are punished, will not commit it again. Right. Uh, the, the, uh, the politicians, when they first passed this legislation, were talking about 70 to 90% recidivism r- or repeater. 
uh, of people who would commit sexual offenses again. But the federal statistics uh, that have uh, uh, been um, uh, gathered uh, for, for decades uh, show that uh, um, sex offenders have one of the lowest rates uh, as repeaters or recidivists is the word uh, of, of any offense. So who are the bodies that are doing this research collecting this data about the federal offenses? Well, the Bureau of Justice Statistics out of the, uh, the um, Justice Department is the uh, stati statistical uh, uh, bureau that uh, gathers all of this information about crimes, and they've been doing it for years. Uh, and uh, repeatedly they've, they've put out uh, uh, information uh, about um, um, recidivist rates, but also states uh, do the same thing. And, and one of the most interesting things is that, uh, you know, we're talking about Megan's Law. Megan's Law came out of New Jersey, Megan Kank in New Jersey. Uh, well, there was a report that was done in the 50s about um, um, recidivism, um, uh, and uh, nobody seems to remember it anymore. But it's, uh, the title of the report was uh, The State of New Jersey Commission on the Habitual Sex Offender. Uh, and uh, they got a bunch of experts and uh, uh, doctors and lawyers and uh, ac academicians, uh, and they put together this report after careful study. Uh, and uh, this was the summary of the report, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, and this is from 1950, it says, sex offenders have one of the lowest rates as repeaters of all types of crime. Holy smokes, they've known this since 1950? Well, they, they knew it before wow. that. Among, seri among serious crimes, homicide alone has a lower rate of recidivism. Careful studies of large samples of sex criminals show that most of them get in trouble only once. Uh, those that do repeat, a majority commit some crime other than sex. Wow. Only 7% of those convicted of serious crimes are arrested again for a sex crime. And then it, uh, wow. it, it refers to those repeaters. And wow. this is interesting. This is the 1950s, you'll recall. And it says, here's the closing sentence. Uh, those who recidivate are characteristically minor offenders, such as peepers. Remember? Uh, wow, engagement peeping in the window, right? That's right. Exhibitionists. Homosexuals. People walking around with their homosexuals. Are you serious? Okay, that's how ignorant they were back then. Well, wow. this is the 1950s. Okay, rather than criminals of serious men menace. That was the report in 1950. And when you look at the subsequent reports up to this very day, and we're talking about the reports that come out of uh, the Federal Government Bureau of Justice Statistics and uh, the various different state reports. Um, Sorry, guys. My mic wasn't on. <laughs> same, same results this very day. Wow. All right. So part of me says that that report that Carl just read to us from the 1950s, these SOB politicians have known since th then the low rate and the low incident of, of recidivism among sex offenders. But then I have to pull that piece out. Am I too loud? You are very is that better? <laughs> but then I have to pull that piece out about homosexuals, but let's be real. They didn't even take homosexuality out of the DSM until what, the 1960s? Yep. So Carl and I have talked a lot about the law. Renee's been rolling her damn eyes, but Black and Phyllis have been enjoying it. And I think that for those of you who have listened to Carl since he's been on the show, he really, he not only knows what he's talking about, but he really, really cares. Carl, really quickly, give our listeners an idea of what it is that you do as the chief of the um, appellate unit at the defender's office, and who was our who was it before you? He, he was still there. John when I was Packle. Hey, John Packle, how are you? <laughs> is, he, what, is he still in Philly? 
Oh yeah, he's he's retired now. He's awesome. Yes, he is. Um, I I came down to to Philadelphia, uh, actually from Rochester, New York. Go went to law school over at Rutgers, and uh, um, my second job was uh, with the uh, Defender Association. It started in 1976. Wonderful place. Wow. Um, it uh, uh, it only hired the best attorneys. Um, and clearly uh, back way back. <laughs> well, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> including including <laughs> you, uh, Deborah, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, it's it's been a wonderful place to work uh, ever since. Uh, I run the appeals division. I've been uh, doing appeals since about ni 1980, uh, and I was the uh, the deputy chief for a long time uh, under John Packle. Um, and you know, we we take all types of types of cases. We take uh, cases up on appeal to the appellate courts from lowly summaries, uh, misdemeanors, felonies, homicides, um, a, a, a complete range of, of offenses. And uh, we do the best that we can. And the Philadelphia Public Defenders Association in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has the best reputation for appellate work. So, and I have to say, even now, even though I've been gone from the office for the past four years, when I have a question that stumps me, I was serious when I said, I get on the phone and I call Carl and I say to him and his staff, okay, what the hell do I do? So we've been talking about the law as it relates to Megan's Law, a little bit of the history and some of the statistics that um, Carl said has been aroused even before 1950s, but the summary he read was from 1950. The two um, other kids who I, who I was referring to when I asked Carl about the derivations of this Megan's Law, these sex offense laws. The first one was a kid named Jacob, and I'm not even going to get this name right, Wetterling, W-E-T-T-E-R-L-I-N-G, October 1989. He went bicycling with his brother and a friend in St. Joseph, Minnesota. Ten months later, a real estate agent went to show a vacant house in Let's just say the boy disappeared and never, never found it home. Everybody remembers, I'm sure, the story of nine-year-old Megan Kenka. There's another little girl who, or not a little girl, excuse me, a woman, Pam Lyncher, who was brutally assaulted, and she was a former flight attendant. She wasn't killed, though, but the, the assault was brutal, and I guess it triggered the politicians to get all up in arms and start making these um, various um, versions of sex offense laws. What I want to ask Phyllis, and this is this is something I've always wanted to know, and I do know as an attorney, because I do take a lot of rape cases, whether court appointment or private, and I get this question a lot from my non-sex offense, non, from my clients who aren't charged with sex offenses and folks who are not lawyers. And they say to me, how can you represent a rapist? Carl, when you, I know you've gotten that question, because you've been practicing law probably longer than I've been alive, but you're not that old, I can't tell. He looks really good, guys, but he's got gray hair, but I can't guess his age. Deborah, you have gray hair. Uh, shut up. Okay. I'm <laughs> just, I'm just, all on blast. Damn. Anyway, Carl, you've gotten that question. I know you have. What's your response to folks when they, when well they ask that you know, question? The first to response you? is that uh, I don't represent a rapist. I represent an individual. Uh, someone gets uh, arrested uh, for an offense, whatever that offense is. Uh, they're not convicted. You know, um, They are presumed to be innocent. And uh, th the way that our system operates, it doesn't operate like the Spanish Inquisition. Thank God. <laughs> uh, it, it operates, uh, thank God, uh, by having um, advocates for both sides. The right. Commonwealth, the I advocate is the prosecutor. 
the defendant has an advocate that's the defense attorney and then there's a new neutral judge and where's that at well hopefully the judge is neutral but you know if you don't think the judge is neutral then you can request a jury and hopefully you get a jury of your peers and when if everything works properly hopefully the truth will out and an appropriate decision will be made but if we prejudge the guilt or innocence of our clients if we don't advocate for them appropriately then we're not serving the system properly the other thing you have to consider is that a lot of people are arrested and charged the prosecutor will throw the book at them of course they may be guilty of something particularly in Philadelphia County spit on somebody aggravated assault indecent assault simple assault reckless endangerment of another person particularly if it's against the officer is arresting you know so so a person may be guilty of something oftentimes our job is to try to figure out what the person should should confess to in terms of entering a guilty plea or if the person isn't guilty of anything should the case be taken to trial and what are the consequences and then we try to do the best job that we can so that the system functions properly and citizens rights are are protected and that is one of the most eloquent rationales I've heard normally I say to my two folks that asked me that question exactly what Carl said but in Deborah speak and that is I don't give a damn what he or she allegedly did my job is to make sure the system works by giving that individual the best damn defense that they're that they can get and that I can give them so back to Phyllis Phyllis in your capacity as a chaplain for example what duties do you have as a chaplain at PPS I'm a system chaplain which means I cover all of the jails all six of them within that my particular call is my particular call is for people who are ill people who say ill does that physically mentally or both 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 people who have grief issues that's almost everybody are you also a an ordained minister or preacher in any no my I'm my I have dual identities religiously I am both a Quaker and have a letter from Germantown monthly meeting Quaker is a religious group that believes that there's that of God in each person and who is committed to what we call spice simplicity peace integrity community equality is that like the keep it stupid simple like the arm I'm just kidding it's one that I get asked that a lot what is a Quaker I am also Jewish and come Wow and come out of an absolute sense that there is justice and mercy and that within the prison system there must be not just justice but also mercy so in your capacity as a prison chaplain I suspect that all kind of inmates detainees come to you with various issues and questions I are you tasked to sort of counsel any particular class of inmates or all of them all of them and I get referrals self referrals from inmates who have heard about me from social workers from correctional officers and when you counsel them is it spiritual counseling or what kind of counseling it's a combination it really is meeting that particular person wherever he or she is because in Philadelphia more than half of the people incarcerated are detainees they have not been found guilty 
Uh, when which she says detainees, in addition to that, they're most of them are probably waiting for trial. Yeah. They're in there because they can't pay their bail or there's or they should probation judge and he mm -hmm. or she's dropped a detainer saying you can't get out to your open cases disposal. That is that is correct. And Let me ask you this question, Phyllis. When you're dealing with the I know you and I were talking when you first came in mm -hmm. and um, you were saying you wanted to put a personal or a human face on this Megan's law, this sexual offender issue. Do you counsel your inmates who are charged with sex offenses different say than you would someone who was charged with beating up his girlfriend or shooting his mother or something along those lines? I'm going to take a step back, Deborah, sure. because I really think that the way people are charged with sex offenses is infinitely too broad. Uh, I remember a person who met somebody on the computer. He was a young man. The person said she was 19. They went out. They had something to drink. She turned out to be uh, 16 and a half. And as a result of that, her, her family got furious, and he was charged with a sex offense and got two to ten years. He served five years and two days but there of that is sentence. Let me finish, though. No, hold on. There is, though, mm -hmm. for the reason I'm, I'm interrupting you is because in that instance, someone who's 16, there is a defense built into the statute that says if that person's 16 or appears to be 16, this is the way you defend against that crime. So I just wanted to make sure you knew that. Yeah. Go ahead. But it, it, it almost means that somebody, particularly with computers who meet on computers, which is how they did, you almost have to card them to say, before we go out, let me see your birth certificate. Y'all listening? Card those people <laughs> on the computer. Yeah. Card them. Yeah. Yeah. What was the second thing you were going to say? Yeah, the tragedy in that case is it was this young man who had sex with somebody he really thought was older. He didn't question her. Many people, I mean, I've got grandchildren, uh, look much older than they are. Uh, he thought that she was older. And five years and two days, he was incarcerated. He is under Megan's law. Uh, it, it wasn't just <coughs> him who was impacted. It was also, and it is still also, his family. Because I don't think you can really separate the person on, on all sides, the person who's charged with a crime from his or her family, sure. nor can you the victim and the impact on the victim. How old, how old was this kid you said? The, per the girl? No, the kid. You're, the, the young man was 22. The girl said she was 19. She turned out to be 16 and a half. Are mm -hmm. you aware of whether this 22-year-old went to trial or disposed via plea, or you don't remember? No, he went to trial. No, he went to trial. Wow. And many, many of them whom I work, I see a lot of people who are charged with sex offenders because offenses because they are frightened. They are not sure what's going to happen. Many of them say, look, I did not do this. You know, this was an argument I had with the baby's mom or whatever, and this is a way of getting back at me. Will anybody believe me? And what is this doing to not just me? What is it doing to my family? What is it going to do if I am convicted? Uh, do you do you think that this young 22-year-old, this is for everybody in the studio, how much accountability does he have in this? I mean, did you ever get the chance to see what this young girl looked like? Did you go to the trial? I, no, I, I did not go to the trial. However, one of my closest relatives uh, also got hooked up on a computer date. Wow. And, you know, after, and did not tell anybody what happened. Wow. Uh, you know, the and it was horrific, absolutely horrific. So I've been both. This relative was charged, was a victim, in yes, other words. Yes, she was the victim. Wow, and was her um, assaulter 
charged, convicted, and gone to jail? He ultimately was found out once she told us, but all evidence was gone right. uh, yeah. that uh, they did find him. Uh, he was convicted. Uh, they did not want her in the courtroom because it would re-traumatize her. Um, and I was in the courtroom. They, the attorney, who's a very well-known attorney, pled him down to uh, in, uh, corrupting the morals of a minor away from a sex offense. He was, uh, had come here from another country, and he ultimately was deported. She mm -hmm. never, wow. this young person never had any resolution until she knew he was out of the country. Part of what I ache is that, in fact, he's probably doing it to somebody else. Wow. But I Phyllis, thank you for sharing. At this point, listen, if you're out there and you want to join in, chime in, say something, give us your two cents. Don't be scared. Reach out to us, 215-609-4301. Text us at 215-435-4099. Phyllis, we got a text from a curious newsy individual <laughs> asking <laughs> if both of the individuals you were referring to were African-American. I can tell you Phyllis's relative probably wasn't African-American. Is that right? She actually is. Okay. Ooh, smack me in the head. <laughs> got one. Smack <laughs> me in the head. Wow. What about the first 22-year-old? No. Okay. They were, they were white. Okay. <laughs> Um, my question still stands, y'all. How much accountability did the 22-year-old have when he hooked up with somebody on the computer? Go ahead, Ms. Producer. Well, you know, I just have to say that I'm not sure whether – I remember, Deborah, you had a case a while ago, and it was whatever that age of consenting was 13 or something. Or so it was a girl and a boy, and they were a year apart. So in those cases, I don't really see that. Well, in those cases, too, BAM is still good law. Is that right, Carl? The Com Commonwealth versus BAM, or has it been bastardized and distinguished and everything else? Commonwealth versus BAM, when I was in the defender office in, in the juvenile unit, this was a case that we used to argue that the Superior Court said, when you have kids who are of similar age engaged in acts that can constitute sort of uh, sexual curiosity, if you will, and both consent to be consenting, if they can consent at that age, then they shouldn't be looked at as predator and predity or as victim and criminal. They should be looked at two kids of similar mind engaging in um, sexuality, curi curiosity as it relates to sexuality. But that only related to kids who were close in age because a lot of the sex, of sex offense statutes have this notion of if the person is 16 and the doer is four years older and blah, 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 some other sort of um, requirements, mm -hmm. then, then that is a part or an element of that particular crime. Yeah, well, well the way the statutes are, are written now, and they've been rewritten uh, a, a number of times over the years, uh, um, there's, there's the offense of uh, statutory sexual assault, uh, which is now a registrable offense. Wow. Um, uh, and uh, <coughs> the, the way they write them is they they um, uh, make a difference between the age of the victim and and uh, uh, and the defendant, uh, and th there are various different degrees based upon how much older or how much younger the uh, um, the uh, the complainant is. And oftentimes uh, too, it's a difference between a mandatory minimum sentence and a regular guideline sentence. Um, Renee, you started s answering my question, but you went off on a tangent. How much accountability did the 22-year-old have to ensure who he was with when he was about to get his um, um, 
business on. I think that it's just something that, I mean, I raised my daughter to ask that kind of question. I just think it's something in this age and age that you ask people for ID because people look older and look younger or they present older or younger. So what do you do when they show you a fake, fake ID? And let's be real, in this day and age, since 2000 and forward, maybe even earlier, you got young girls out there who are 12 and 13 that look 18 or 19 well, and older. I, I think that if you are a male and you are looking to be overly cautious that you might have fake ID, then you're in danger intellectually. I mean, there's other ways that well, you Well, baby, if he's 22, his intellect ain't all there either. Yeah, <laughs> he's still developing and trying to... Higher than a 16 hmm. But I think there's other things if you want to just make sure that so should we have a separate sort of statute that applies to someone like this 22-year-old who was bamboozled by this young girl into believing she's over the age and she's not? I mean, clearly if he got convicted, something went wrong at the trial. She lied, the state hid evidence, something went wrong. Let's, let's be real. Or if he got convicted or, or he had a juror. And, but there still had to be a lie or he didn't testify. And if he I was, most defense counsels don't put their clients up anyway. I don't so. think 16 and a half and 22, now I'm going to say this, and this is not mommy talking, okay? This is Renegade's abuse. Because if that were my 16-year-old. I'd be beating his behind too. But I don't know that I'd go to court, right, but I'd be beating exactly. his ass. Well, I think 16 and a half, even though, I mean, most 16 and a half, I mean, I remember when I was 16, and that was a long time ago, that, Sure. Black, do you think this 22-year-old had some accountability whatsoever, more than what we've heard I he mean, did? I, morally, I think he probably should have had some accountability. I mean, obviously he didn't know much about this girl, period. But at 22, you're still not in control of your urges and your desires. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's I why know. I said morally. And you still but think with that small head. Lawfully, so. I don't think he should have did five years for that. Not at all. Not as fast as the these girls are these days and like, uh, like she said, there, aren't you going to that blame the victim thing, though, with that nah, statement? That's a little nah, bit, uh, but, and I have a question for black but it was black consent and sex, right? So Our law so says our know? law says she can't consent, and that's why he got charged. So, so what age can she consent? 16, if emancipated, 18 is our legal age of consent, except to drink. you got to be 21. Well, I have a question for you, Black. You have two brothers. They're older or younger? Uh, She's the older. baby. That's why she's All right. All right, hold on, hold on before you go there. Just one question. So your brother brings a little chippy around, and you're like, are you going to say something to him if you think that he's underage? Oh, I grew everybody. He bring around, period. Okay. Don't bring him around me. She said, you ain't trying grilled. to set my brother up in no nonsense because Mama Black going to get you number. if I don't get you. I need so, Phyllis, I, I obviously know where you stand based on you're telling us your story. You think that he did all that he could humanly do to ensure that she was who she said she was. Is that a fair he, sort of he, estimation? Uh, he did not ask her to card herself, but he assumed she, her her name on the computer uh, was Hot Pink Pants. Wow. You know, and you know, I think there was victimization <coughs> actually on both sides. Clearly, did she was a victim uh, because she ended up, <laughs> even though she consented to it, uh, the, I'm sure the hell that went on within her family right uh was made her life incredibly difficult right and he was as well right and i don't know about her family but i sure know his family 
you know, the families of people charged with sex offenses uh, are incredibly ashamed. And it's really, do I say why my son, why my daughter, why right. my partner, right. whatever, right. is charged? And then if the person is convicted and is going to come home, and be on I'm that amazed. register, be on the computer. Yeah. Carl, you have daughters, don't you? One or two? One. How old your daughter now? My daughter is uh, uh, 33. Okay. Think back to when she was 16 and a half. Was she the kind of girl who would have a Probably not because she's your child, but I'm going to ask you. <laughs> Hot pink <laughs> pants, moniker on the computer, and hold herself out to be an 18-year-old to hook up with an older guy? No, uh, I, I don't think she, she, she was. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, I'm not going to uh, uh, blame the victim uh, in, in this uh, situation because we live in a society which um, uh, sexualizes everything, right. you know. Amen, uh, and, and And young people... Uh, uh, young women and men uh, grow up uh, in in this context, uh, and everything is sexualized, and and uh, uh, th they're really encouraged to, to 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 take that on. It's it's really very problematic, uh, because once they do take that on, mm -hmm. if they do, uh, then they can be within a world of trouble. Oh my God! Uh, so guys, where's the line? Where do we? How do we advise our young men, right? And how do we warn? So to protect and educate our young women so that this sort of thing stops happening. Well, I think it comes from home. I mean, I'm just sitting up here thinking, I have a daughter, but I schooled her and all these things. If I had a son, just like Black said, oh, no, I'm getting this and I'm getting this and this. And when you said social security number, yeah, it that. took me back <laughs> to my father who was an IRS agent. And even my sister who was in her 40s at the time, my dad stopped by her house and she was going out to dinner. And he did this. He had this little pocket, pocket, pocket protector. And he would say, Oh, how you doing, Jim? Uh, can I get your social security number? He would say, get their social security number. Always get their social security number. Okay, always. ladies and gentlemen out there, this Sorry. is 2012, <laughs> so I'm not going to ask you to get your date's <laughs> social security <laughs> numbers. But what I would suggest, and if you're in the sound of our voice and you hear it, you need to be on your children. I don't care how but, old But they he are. was, my dad had six girls, so it was just him okay. always and making right, sure that, that if something happened smart. that he can find them later. Right. And that was his thing. But mm -hmm. it's about making sure that you're telling when we had a foster son a couple years ago, it was talking to him a ref reference to dating girls and don't let them bring the condom because if they have holes in it, you bring your own condom and those kind of conversations. But it's about having real talk with your children about what the opposite sex is going to do and despite or may do. But despite having those conversations, you get kids from both sides who've had those conversations, the girl who's been warned and foretold and prepared, the young man who said, Here's what you shouldn't do. Here's what you should do. Here's what you look out for. But I know I see in my practice, both court appointment and private, the baby mama drama, the baby daddy drama, the ex-girlfriend drama. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, of all the folks up on State Road in Philadelphia County facing these sexual offenses, 75% of them are bullshit. I'm going to go out on that limb and say that number is that high. And when I include in that number, though, are those cases where the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office, their charging unit, has overcharged by leaps and bounds because someone saw, heard this allegation and decided to throw everything at the, at the case and to see what sticks when you go to trial. So before we do anything, we have to address that. I think yeah. we start there, right? I think Carl, we Phyllis, yeah. where do you, what do you guys I think? think? We do, we need to, to st I think we need to start at home, and home is 
for many people, not, not just their parents or grandparents, it's teachers. It's their village, it's their neighbors, their, their community, everybody. I have also worked with women who were charged as uh, sexual predators, so, and I don't want it to be just uh, women right, right. who are, are victimized, it's also sometimes boys and men. And I remember one guy saying to me, I didn't know, and he had no idea he was, uh, had been molested, uh, because he said, I didn't know that you know, this relative uh, played with his peepee all the time. Didn't know that that was wrong. It became the wow. norm. Um, I r so I've wow. seen it both sides. I remember one woman I worked with who said, uh, I got asked to see her because her relative was dying. Her father was dying. And she said, I hate him. I don't know why I feel bad about this because I had a child when I was 13. I didn't know if it was his, my brother's, my uncles, oh or my one God. of their friends. Oh I mean, it God. was horrific. Wow. When you hear stories like that, the, 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 the human being in me, the citizen in me says, okay, we need to have special laws to deal with those kind of special situations. But I mean, I, I, and I totally agree. I totally but again, and I'm a feminist from way back, so I'm totally against crimes against women, even though they happen the other way around. So when I say that, my 15-year-old, God knows, I don't want my fifth. Well, I don't have a 15-year-old, but my my daughter was 15. I don't want her having sex. But I am going to be less upset, if possible, if that person is within, I guess, two years of her age, versus someone who's four or five years older. When I saw you sit up to the mic, Carl, you were going to say. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is that uh, you know part of the appropriate solution here is uh, is education, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, part of it comes from the family. But unfortunately, uh, many families it's not going to come from you know uh, right because um, they got all that stuff behind their clothes. Doors this is true, you know, and, and some people just don't talk about sex with their kids. This is true. Um, so, I mean, some people don't want to talk, and some people you don't want to hear what they I have to say. I know that's right. Know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but the other place where it should uh, come from is it should come from the schools, you know. Um, uh, you have to have uh, uh, an appropriate uh, a program um, uh, geared to the appropriate age, uh, age level. Uh, and, and I do have a question on that. Um, my daughter was in high school. She graduated in 2005. Which means she went there in 2001. That's not her question, y'all. She's just thinking no, out loud. No, but I'm thinking it loud. But I remember when she went, it was 2001, um, we had to sign a paper saying whether we wanted our kids to get sex education. And I was shocked at how many people who said no. And I'm, what do you mean no? They need to get as much information as they can. And this was, um, it was text about, it was talk about condoms, it was how to use them, it was just any kind of, and they, they had that option. Is that still an option that they can waive the right for their kids to get sex education in school? Well, it depends on the school district. You this, know. Was, this was Philadelphia public school. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, why would you say no? My God, really? And these were parents who I had known from years when my daughter's going to, sco to school, and I was just really, really shocked. And I'm going, why wouldn't you want them to get, well, get probably, any information? Probably because they, s they see sex education as uh, an instruction about... Uh, uh, how to engage in sexual matters. Perhaps that's what they see, uh, but uh, but sex education is is so much more. You know, it's it's the whole ethics of the situation. It's the danger of the situation mm -hmm. uh, that you face uh, on a number of different levels in in terms of uh, 
of uh, HIV and uh, right. Uh, and I mean, even before HIV, I was pregnant at 16. My mother died when I was 13, and my dad came to me afterwards and said, "God, I knew we should have told you about sex." Mm-hmm. He and the widow next door were deciding, are we going to tell her about sex? And he said, I didn't, because I figured that would give you a license to go have sex. So instead, he gave me more credit cards, which yeah. just made me go buy cuter clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question. I'm going to embarrass the baby in the room. Oh my For those of you that don't know, our, our resident poet just turned 26 a couple months ago, about four or five months ago. <laughs> so, Black, let me ask you this question, and, and just be honest. Did you get your sex education from mom at home on the street or a combination thereof? A combination of everything. Um, I got my mom gave me the birds and the bees speech. Right. Yeah, but I guess you could say I learned a lot about sex through my peers. Through trial and error, if you will. Not so much trial and error. Other people's trial and error. (laughs) (laughs) And when you, I'm curious about something too. We all say that old-fashioned birds and the bees. But I don't know that every single subsection of subculture includes the same stuff in the birds and the bees discussion. Right, right, you see right. what I'm saying? Right, no, the you, birds you. and the bees, to some folk, the more conservative folks, I imagine could be boy has penis, girl has vagina, one meets the other, baby comes. Other cultures may be boy has penis, girl has vagina, here's what you do in order to keep a baby from coming, or... Here's what you do in order for you to enjoy the meeting of the boys' pee pee and the girls' vagina, or a combination thereof. So it, it's it's curious to me to see where this birds and the bee conversation, the basics are, and how we think we parents, community members, politicians, whoever think we can gr- we can add to this, sort of redefine it, if you will, and. Oh my God! I just lost my thought. You're shaking your head. Say yes, Black. Where was I and going? But but do you know what? I, I'm going to add something Where in there. Where was I going? The other thing is, even with all of that information, we really do have to look at their ages. Um, Why? Well, yeah. because because my daughter, who will remain name remain nameless, baby girl, Nile Nord, when when her and her best friend at high school, they were the one that volunteered for the age room and how to use a condom and they went from room to room and they were the one to give the condoms out so then they're in the car one day and somehow they think when they're in the car and i'm in the front and they're in the back that i can't hear them and they were talking about something and i said when we parked i said you know you guys were talking about oral sex and they were like yeah and i'm going um and what was it called back then it was something but it was it was safe it was safer sex you know that Mm -hmm. whole Mm -hmm. culture that just makes you want to cringe and i said how do you get AIDS? And they both looked at me and said, duh, you get it through. <gasps> they heard themselves. I mean, they were teaching it in school. They were the students that were going around. But you have to consider exchange. their, no, fluid. They knew it intellectually because they taught that. They were the peer teachers who were, who was in the condom room, the room where you go and you ask questions about whatever. They went from classroom to classroom to give demonstrations. But my point is sometimes at that age of 16 or 17 or 18, all the dots don't connect. Intellectually, they knew it, but it wasn't until I said it and they were about to repeat it that they heard themselves saying it from bodily fluids, and they were like, oh, yeah, well, I guess that. Because they were talking about, I don't know what they were talking about, oral sex or something, but all of a sudden it dawned on them that, wait a minute, you know, one and one is two, and it, it came full circle. So sometimes you have that disconnect. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know that um, our son is a pediatrician at St. Christopher's, and he does includes in his work 
uh, raising questions with his patients and, oh, and wow. their families wow. around Easy. issues of sex and sexuality. And he's done some writing on that in the Enquirer. I mean, it's really vital that when I think about who raises this with children, it wow. is include in pediatricians, wow. nurse practitioners, phys physician assistants, et cetera. The other thing is I think many children uh, don't know what lovemaking really is. And I remember very clearly I was a camp counselor uh, at a camp that was trying to see bring together urban children with suburban children uh, and Ooh. teen moms. And I remember uh, talking to a teen mom who was 17 or had two children. And I said, do you have any idea when you started, uh, you know, teach me, when did you start making love? And what she said was, I have no idea. I've had lots of sex. I have never, ever made love. Wow. It was profound, mm -hmm. profound. Wow. But I want to get back to, to <coughs> Megan's and the impact, not just on the person who is charged under Megan's, but also their families. Because for many people who are away, their families are tremendously impacted. It's that shame factor uh, when the person who's incarcerated is coming up for parole. Where may he or she go? Well, let me stop you for a, mm -hmm. a minute, Phyllis. Yeah. What I want to do for tonight's show, for part one, is okay. concentrate more on the law itself right. and the discussions we're having now to lead up to part two. And hopefully you and Carl will come back and join us, if not refer some other folks well, to Well, we do have a part, part two, two coming up November as many as we need to get the information out there. So I don't, I don't want to give too much at one time. But I, I like what you were saying as it relates to the, the way that these sexual offenses impacts not only the person being charged, but the victim and the family of both, as well as the communities that they're in. Absolutely. And the I think if we don't do that, if we don't, there's an absolute disconnect. And then there is nobody who can really give good support to the victim, to the person charged, and to the families on both sides. What we haven't done yet, and we don't have that much time, much more time. Carl, if you can, I know you know this by heart, can you give our listeners a sort of a taste of the types of crimes right now in 2012 that trigger Megan's Law and Megan's Law-ish um, considerations? Well, I, I've got the list right here, so I can certainly do that. Uh, and, and we're starting with uh, kidnapping. We're starting with a number of offenses that aren't necessarily uh, sexual offenses, but kidnapping, unlawful restraint uh, with regard to a minor, false imprisonment with, an, with regard to a minor, interference with the custody of children. Oh, my okay. God. Are you serious? Yes. That charge, ladies and gentlemen, lies. If you go pick up somebody and you have custody and you're late five minutes, you can be charged with that. Okay, Carl, go ahead. Uh, luring a child into a motor vehicle or structure. This oh is the Halloween God. events uh, event with uh, right, entering wow. a haunted house, you know. Wow. you got to be careful what you do because that is actually a violation of the law. Listen up, guys. Go ahead, Carl. Uh, now we get into um, uh, the sexual offenses, and we have rape, uh, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. Which involves other um, penetration aside from penile vaginal. Go ahead. That's right. Um, a sexual assault. Uh, Institutional sexual assault. This is uh, where you have a corrections officer taking advantage, uh, or within the context of a school. Wow. Um, indecent assault. Uh, this is the uh, the patting someone's behind on the uh, on the train. Okay. Uh, incest. 
and uh, here we have uh, marrying or, or having a sexual intercourse with your, with your nephew or your stepbrother, uh, and that is a uh, registrable offense for, uh, um, for life. Wow. Okay, you commit that, you've got to register for life and have your, wow. uh, uh, your picture and your name and uh, uh, your information uh, placed up on, on the web. Promoting prostitution of a minor. Wow. Uh, obscene materials uh, with regard to uh, uh, a minor. Uh, corruption of minors when it wow. involves sexual um, uh, elements. Uh, sexual abuse of children. Uh, unlawful contact with a minor. Uh, sexual exploitation of children. Wow. And we get back to invasion of privacy, and that's looking through the people. So you see it, it covers a bunch of non-sexual um, offenses that, uh, that involve a, a, a child on the presumption uh, that uh, there's sex involved where there may actually not be sex at all. It involves a number of uh, uh, sexual offenses against anyone and then those that focus on, on children. And, of course, the consequences of, of these uh, vary under the current statute. Uh, but the basically the way they have it set up it, it, is they have less serious offenses and more serious offenses and very serious offenses. And each of these has a requirement for registration. how long you have to register. And when they say register, you're going to find your picture and your name on the state Megan's Law website. That's Carl, Phyllis, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for you guys coming, joining us, helping us get this information out there. We are, for those of you that don't know, we've been talking about Megan's Law, and this is part one. We've been um, graced by the presence of Mr. Carl Baker, who's the chief of the Public Defender's Appellate Unit, Miss Phyllis Taylor, who is a chaplain with the Philadelphia Prison System. She's also a registered nurse. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Before we go, though, there's some brief stuff that we need to do that we always do on each of the shows. And best believe, this is only part one. There will be a part two, a part three. And if, if you're interested, I will put information on the podcast as it relates to where you can find the Pennsylvania Megan's Law issue. Don't forget, November 6th, when you go to vote, if they ask you for ID, they're wrong. You don't have to show it. If this is your first time registering to vote, you have your voter ID registration card, show that. They ask you to, to show ID and they don't let you vote, tell somebody, damn it. Don't forget, mm -hmm. we have our theme song competition. Remember, we're looking for an original instrumental song or a song with lyrics that is funky, fresh, and indicates for the people law in plain language. Stay tuned for information as we develop it as it relates to our theme song competition. Carl, before we go, I always ask my guests if they had some um, last words that they want to share with the listeners. What I want to ask you, what kind of, what would you say to folks out there who are unsure of Megan's Law and what the implications there are? And these are for the folks who are charged with these kind of crimes. They're still waiting to be go to trial. They're not sentenced yet. They're charged with it. What kind of words of encouragement would you give them, if any? Well, you know, these are, are very serious offenses. Uh, uh, you know, I'd like to speak to the people who aren't charged yet. That, uh, <laughs> the, the, the you got to be really yeah. careful out there. That's part of a whole sex education uh, uh, a curriculum. Uh, but uh, if, if you are charged, uh, uh, get together with that attorney, you know. Um, and make sure your attorney knows what's going on, knows what he or she's talking about. Because if they don't know and you don't know, you're in for a world of hurt. Phyllis, what's your last bit of parting words to the families of those folks who are facing these charges? What do you say to encourage them? That, uh, that there are people who really care, who are not there to judge. And if you are worried 
I'm, I might be very sorry to do this, but if you are worried about your loved one who's incarcerated in the Philadelphia prison system, feel free to give me a call. It's Chaplain Phyllis Taylor, 215-685-8512. And for those of you out there who may have an attorney, um, you can't, Mr. Baker, or neither Mr. Baker or any other attorney for that matter, can give you any direct legal advice if you're represented by counsel. But Mr. Baker, and correct me if I'm wrong, Carl, has no problem answering defense counsel's questions if they relate to things within his area of expertise, which I don't know if there's nothing you're not an expert in. So if there are attorneys out there or family members who want to turn their attorneys on to you, Carl, first of all, can they do that? And if they can, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, well, you know, we, we're willing to consult uh, with a defense counsel uh, um, both in Philadelphia and, ac and across the state. And uh, we're very lucky at the Defender uh, to have uh, uh, many excellent attorneys. And in my division, there's 19 appellate attorneys, uh, and they're very good. And a number of them uh, specialize in this particular area. Uh, so uh, we're more than willing to uh, uh, specifically talk to, uh, to, uh, to attorneys. Uh, we're not going to consult with somebody who's represented by another attorney uh, because that's a, an ethical conflict, but we certainly will will work with that attorney and answer whatever questions that attorney might have. Okay. And those of you who whose attorneys may need to get some information, some education, if you will, on Megan's Laws and their implica implications, check the podcast and I'll get contact information for Mr. Baker so that your attorney can um, talk to him. Um, following our show is the Lounging Lizard. Is that what that new show is? Yes, it Lounging is the Lizard. It's a social sort of sexy social talk show where they do a whole lot. And we listened to one of their shows last week, and we had a good time. They're going to be on from 9.30 to 11, 11 mm -hmm. following our show. Stay tuned for Megan's Law Part 2 on November 27th. We hope to have in the studio an individual who served 10 years as and unfortunately suffered the um, tag as a sex offender. He'll be here in the studio talking to us. And I'm hoping that either Phyllis and Carl or representatives from both of them can come back and join us for that part two show. Um, and I'm hoping I've talked long enough because I'm looking forward to that <laughs> wonderful <laughs> poem that I know Miss Black's about to throw down. So sorry. without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, like we do every week, Black, a.k.a. the Broke Poet. Yeah. Uh, when I asked around about um, Megan, Megan's Law, pretty much what everybody told me was a, a law for sex offenders or whatever. And so I wrote this poem from the perspective of a victim. I'm not a rape victim, but I know a lot of people who are. So I was able to try and gain their point of view a little bit. So It's called Innocence Stolen. Innocence stolen. Innocence attractive in some twisted sense to some twisted mind. A scarred soul, a bruise in a thigh. A waterfall of confusion invading my eye and washing away my innocence. Life goes on, they say. Move on, they say. Embark on a quickened road to adult life with a jaded point of view of wrong and right memories of you controlling my nights, touching my bruised inner thigh, my property you stole, you had no right flashes with no specific time frame, just rain on my brain, causing me to forever be a step away from insane. Rape and molestation are just wordplay. This action is an invasion of the soul 
innocence stolen, innocence I never truly got to know, forced to become one with one unchosen. Time, sit still, time is frozen. Comprehension, tainted, understanding, molded, the dark side of life intimately unfolded by a stranger. Even if you're a loved one, to admit such danger makes you a stranger. And it feels like you lurk around every corner and are embedded in every crevice. I sleep with a shed machete, my need to feel protected, my innocence stolen, my little mind molested. I'll probably kill you whether I see you full moon or crescent. Now I'm grown, grown before my years, going over the tears and immediate fears. Stolen innocence can't be missed if you never had it to begin with. Life goes on, they say. Move on, they say. Yes, that's true, and I did, but that doesn't mean it's the fuck okay. Wow, and once again, poems like that take me to that idea that, yeah, we should have particular laws that deal with situations like that. I'm just not so sure that the Megan's Law statutes, the way, way they are written, prepare for and cover broad. that situation that my sister spoke on. Good, googly goo, girl. <laughs> Carl, Phyllis. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned next week, guys. Keir Bradford, one of the coolest females in the Commonwealth, who just happens to be the very first African-American chief defender in Montgomery County, which means she is in charge of all the public defenders who work for um, individuals in the Commonwealth who are charged with crimes in Montgomery County. Keir, looking forward to hearing from you, girl. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions, if you want to pass this um, show on to other folks who weren't able to hear it, go to www.podomatic. Strike that. www.forthepeople.podomatic.com or go to my website, DeborahRadioLaw.com. Or tomorrow, this time, check out our Facebook page because I'm sure our producer will have that podcast up. Phyllis, um, Carl, thank you so much. Thanks for making me. Thank you for inviting us. I think I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, every Tuesday night from 8 to 9.30 for the people, law in plain language. We break the law down for you in plain language. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to www.gtown.com. G-Town, we are the what? The sound from Germany. Say bye, fam. Good night. Legendary like a schoolboy crush on any every every chick. Every chick. That's how schoolboy got whipped and got left on some chest. Me, myself, and I on some true boy shit. Had your boys to a place up, to a place of no return. Had to play with fire and get burned. Only way the boy ever gonna learn. Had to lay way in the cut till I finally got my turn. Now I'm on top in the spot that I earned. It's my life. It's my pain and my struggle. What's up, what's up, this Black the Broke Poet. Check me out every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. sharp, for the people, law and plain language. You know how we do. Yeah. The information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice.
No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue. We the people says the Constitution, created for creating solutions. However, we the people lack the understanding. Legal terms and conditions sound written on another planet. Our rights we take for granted, often signing away our chances, because we don't really know the circumstances. I swear I can't stand it. Then we're so demanding, quick to throw up a picket sign in the streets to exercise our freedom of speech. When this situation could have been avoided from the start, if we the people conquer basic knowledge of the law, so this is for the people. Law in plain language, breaking it down for us in layman terms. They have expressed a compassion and will for us to learn, not for a check, but to address how to win in these streets. This show is for you. This show is for me. It's for the people. 